you'd like to uh, grab your seats, grab your coffee, grab your donut, we'll get cracking. It's very, very nice to see you all here this morning. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. If you're new here or you're visiting this morning, you're very, very welcome. Can I encourage you, do fill out one of those green Connect cards uh, that Mike was telling, us, telling you about. It's a, it's a really great way. You're not signing your life away, but it's a great way to uh, find out more about the church and who we are. Uh, last week, we began a series looking at uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the, the book of uh, Philippians. And for those of you uh, who were here, uh, what with it being a new academic uh, year and all that, we, we had homework set, you know, feeling that we would be bereft of a new term if we didn't have homework set. Uh, and so our homework was to read the book of Philippians at least once a day, every day, for the whole week. Do you remember that? I, I think we actually got up to reading it a hundred times a day, every day for the whole week. But um, So how did you get on? Yes, okay. All right, let's do this. It's only four chapters, for goodness sake. Um, hands up. Um, hands up if you read it once. No, once, just once. Hands up if you've read it ever. <laughs> Let's start there. Hands up if you know what the Bible is. Have you, has anyone ever looked at? Okay, let's start. Have you read, anyone who's read Philippians once this week, see their hand up. Great, okay. Okay, keep your hand, no, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Uh, keep your hands up if you've read it twice. Uh, you if you've only read it once, put your hand down. If you've read it more than once, keep your hand up. Okay, if you've read it five times, keep your hand up. Keep your hands up. It's all right. We won't put... Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness. It's okay. What? I'm not shaming you because you haven't read it. Well, that's... That's what I'm moving on to. That's what I'm moving on to next. <laughs> um, where was I up to? Five times. Anyone read it seven times? Okay, look, this is how much faith I had. I had, look, I had, I had this much faith, right? I had, I had this much faith, and there's only two people who've read it every day. What, three? Oh, Jacques, I didn't see that. Can you... Can you divide all of those between the three of you? No. <laughs> where? Where was? Who? Oh, I'm so sorry. I missed you too. Have I missed anybody else? Of all the people I could have missed. Can we share the... Give Doreen extra. Give Doreen more. Give Doreen more. Okay, I'm not promising prizes next week, right? However, your homework for this week is to read it. Maybe you should set the bar lower. Just read it a little bit, okay? Um, yes. Or listen to it. Now listen to it. Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, not, not mentioning any names, you know, because you were off sunning yourself on some distant aisle, 
uh, perhaps, or because uh, you suddenly realized that actually term was starting quite soon and you <laughs> realized that you weren't actually at all ready for the kids going back to school or going back to work or any of those kind of things. Um, one of the reasons that we are looking at Paul's letter to the church at Philippi this time is in, uh, is in no small way as a result of the direct um, of the inspiration of our very own dear uh, Linda Spicer. Linda Spicer, she's been part of this church for uh, 28, 29 years. She's been on the staff team for almost all of that um, time. And uh, if you're new or you're visiting here this morning, this bit's just some of this is family business, so um, please excuse us. Uh, but many of you will know that some four years ago, Linda was diagnosed with a, a primary ovarian cancer. Uh, and of course, if you, if you know Linda, as many of you, many of you do, um, even just a little tiny bit, uh, it will come as no surprise to you that she... Um, she continues to fight uh, bravely. She's, she's pressed into the Lord with all of her strength and all of her might through the whole uh, of this long battle that she's um, having with cancer. And she remains an example. She remains an inspiration uh, to us all. Uh, however, as, as things stand, um, Linda is preparing herself to go home with, to be with Jesus. Um, she knows that she's dying um, and she's, she's ready to go home. Uh, we spent uh, some time with her again yesterday. Kate and I went to see her again yesterday. We celebrated the Lord's Supper, uh, which is something we like to try to do um, whenever we see her. Uh, we prayed together. We laughed together. We cried together. Um, in spite of everything she's been through, in spite of everything she's going um, through, she, she really is, as many of you will know, she is absolutely remarkable. And, um, and one of the things that we and others have noticed, um, there's something miraculous going on, some bizarre mystery, I think, of the kingdom. Because she, she, she physically looks even more beautiful than ever. There's this bizarre thing going on as the, as the enemy is trying to literally rob her of her life. There's something wonderful and mysterious going on. She just looks radiant. Her eyes are so clear and beautiful, and um, she is literally exuding um, uh, just the presence of the Almighty, the radiance of the Lord. As I said, she knows that she's dying. She's absolutely exhausted. She's in pain. Um, but at the same time, she is so full of the Lord. She is so full of uh, the joy of the Lord, and she is terribly excited she is terribly excited about all that the Lord is doing in her, all the Lord is doing through her. We read her as we were celebrating the Lord's Supper yesterday. We were reading um, uh, some of the passages from Revelation that describe you know, John's vision of heaven. And we were describing the walls and the gates and the streets paved with gold and the, uh, the, the precious jewels and the gates of pearls. And she just closed her eyes and she said, I can see it all, I can see it all. She said, I'm going to be there soon. I'm going to be there soon. She can't wait. We're kind of like, oh, we're jealous. But it's, it's, it's her example. She's been this incredible example to us. She's modeling dying so incredibly well. And it's that example, that model, that has, in no small way, as I say, been an inspiration for this um, series on the book of Philippians. Because the book of Philippians it is sort of like Paul's manifesto on joy. 
on this thing of being filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the presence of God. So this joy um, abounds and oozes out of you. And it's a manifesto on joy so that we can live a life of joy no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're contending with, no matter what life is throwing at us. And um, Philippians is this book of uh, joy, and, and Linda is herself, she's full of this uh, joy. And so um, last week we began the series, and we began, one of the things that we, did, we, we started to tackle last week was by looking at some of the things that can steal uh, joy from us, things that can rob us of our joy. And so if you were here last week, we looked at things like circumstances, you know, how our circumstances can so often uh, rob our joy. Uh, we looked at um, people, how sometimes through what people say and what people do and the people around us, how they can sometimes, probably completely unintentionally, but how they can actually sap us of our joy. They can steal our joy. They can rob us of our joy. We looked at um, things. You know, sometimes it's the things that we're um, preoccupied with acquiring. And they could be material possessions, or they could actually just be some of the many, the many, many things that will uh, distract our hearts and our minds from uh, pers- relentless pursuits of Jesus. What are some of the things that will um, get, in our, get in the way of us experiencing the fullness of the joy that the Lord has for us? Uh, and then we just touched on um, one of the biggest things that can rob us of our joy, and that's worry, which uh, Paul looks at in chapter 4. And so, with much of this letter to the church in Philippi, uh, being about um, uh, uh, how it is we can contend with some of those things that will steal us, uh, steal the joy away from us, or rob us of our um, joy. What we're wanting to do is to look at this book so that we can uh, find out what the scriptures have to say, what Paul's encouragement to us is, so that we can live the lives that God has intended us to live so that we can experience joy um, no matter what. Okay, so if you've got a Bible, uh, have a look at Philippians chapter 1, and we'll just have a look at uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through to verse 11. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, that's kind of like the house group leaders, the trustees, you know, the leaders of uh, the church, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, Some of you this morning just need to hear that word. The Lord is speaking to you, and, and, and you're, you're not sure where you are with your faith. You're not sure where you are with your relationship with Jesus. You're, you're maybe feeling overwhelmed by circumstance or the people around you or the things that are cluttering your life or worry is, is just preoccupying. And the Lord wants to say to you this morning that he uh, will um, uh, carry, he, he who's begun a good work in you, he's begun a good work in you, and he will carry that work on until completion, until it's completed, until it's finished until the day of of Christ. Uh, So the Lord is um, at work in each one of us. He's redeeming us. He's transforming us with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. So um, that's an aside. 
Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may, may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so... Um, you know, you think about everything that Paul is going through. Let's not forget that he's, um, he's being held in. He's, he's a prisoner somewhere. He's, he's in prison somewhere. And one of the messages that he's trying to get across, uh, particularly here in chapter 1, is this importance of being single-minded. It's, it's, it's the importance of having our focus and having our attention solely fixed on Jesus. It's why he writes, if you read, just have a look down on chapter 1 down to verse 27. He says, whatever happens, which is basically no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what, whatever happens, he says, as citizens of heaven, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. What he's saying is don't, don't worry about your circumstances or or the people in your lives, or the things that are going on, or, 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 or the worry that you have. Have a different perspective. Live as a citizen of heaven. Keep your focus and your attention solely fixed on Jesus. And then everything else will fall into perspective. Live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. And um, here he is. He's, in spite of all of this challenge that he's facing, he's in this terribly difficult situation. He's a prisoner, probably in Rome. Uh, and yet he's rejoicing. Kind of like, how does he do it? What's he, what's he like? And the secret to his joy um, is this single-minded uh, way that Paul did life. You look at the life of he's very, very single-minded, very, very focused. He, he lived for Christ Jesus, and he lived for the gospel. Uh, and just in this chapter, just chapter 1, the name of Christ, Christ is named 18 times. The gospel is mentioned six times. It is Christ Jesus. It's the gospel that's Paul's focus. It's, that's what he's set his eyes to. That's what he's set his mind on. That's what he's set his heart to. So when he writes in verse 21 in chapter 1, um, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, what he's saying is that that's, that's, that's my attitude. I've reconciled all of this. It's what he's saying in verse 12 of chapter 1, which is effectively, it doesn't matter. It makes no difference what happens to me. It doesn't matter at all. I've sorted all of that out. What happens to me doesn't matter in the slightest. All that matters is that the name of Christ Jesus is lifted high. All that matters is that the name of Jesus is glorified, and all that matters is that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is shared with others. That's all he's interested in. It's a single-minded focus and attention. And what he's getting at here is saying, you know, instead of being so focused on our circumstances, instead of being so consumed with uh, what's going on um, with us and in us and around us, uh, what he's encouraging us to do is saying, concern yourselves with um, bigger fish. 
Concern yourselves with things of far greater value. Uh, Give yourselves to things of far more importance, things of far more lasting impact. And that's exactly what we've seen Linda doing, particularly over these um, last weeks and months. She's been doing it so well. She's been concerning herself with things that are... She's always done it, to be honest. You know, Linda is one of those people who's always lived with this same single-minded focus, if you know her. Uh, uh, She's always fixed her eyes solely on Jesus, solely on the extension and the spread of the good news of of Jesus. Uh, And even more so in these last weeks and months, she's given herself entirely um, to that. And so what happens in this chapter... um, uh, uh, Paul writes about, he, he's essentially talking about um, uh, th- three things, three things that we, you know, we could be um, giving ourselves to. And um, he, he, here in this first part of the chapter, he writes about, essentially about the fellowship of the gospel. And what he's saying is, um, uh, we may be going through hard times, but actually, he says, you know, it's actually in these hard times, it's actually when you're facing these kinds of difficulties and challenges that they, they actually become a catalyst for strengthening and deepening our relationships and our friendships uh, and our fellowship with others. Um, and then further on in the chapter, he talks about the furtherance of the gospel. He says, um, very much like we've seen with Linda, um, Paul's circumstances, even though they're, they stink, they're terrible circumstances, but they're giving an opportunity for the gospel to be extended, the kingdom to be extended. And then thirdly, um, towards the end of the chapter, he writes about the faith of the gospel. And he's saying, um, even though there's all this difficulty and challenge going on, the only thing that matters to Paul, as I said, is that the name of Jesus is lifted high and that the gospel of Jesus is spread. And what happens, you see, what happens is, as we cultivate, cultivate this single-mindedness, this, this determination to fix our eyes on Jesus, to see Christ at the very center of all that we are, to see Christ at the center of our circumstances, no matter what kind of circumstances we're facing, no matter whether they're good circumstances, bad circumstances, whether they're challenging or not, there's something that happens through the mystery of the kingdom And what happens is our circumstances begin to work for us and not against us. Somehow, it's one of those mysteries of the kingdom. And and perhaps most importantly, our our circumstances um, become uh, catalysts. And again, this is something we've seen um, very much demonstrated through Linda and with Linda's situation over these last months. They become catalysts for God's kingdom to come, for God's uh, will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, um, as the name of Jesus is lifted high and the kingdom of God is extended. And one of the things that Paul says that we should do here in chapter 1, even when we're facing some really, really difficult challenges and circumstances, he encourages encourages us to remember um, the those and, and, and the people that the Lord has put around us. In verse um, 3 of chapter 1, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember you. And this, this whole book, this, the whole book of Philippians, it, it's filled with um, this deep sense of love and um, affection that Paul genuinely has for all of the fellow brothers and sisters in the church in, uh, in Philippi. In, in verse 4, 
He says this. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day, from the first day until now. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And it's this partnership. There's something about this, this idea, this notion of partnership. It's this common sense of purpose. It's this unity around um, what's really important and what really matters, which, as Paul's talking about, is namely Christ and his gospel. But it's, that, it's the partnership, it's the unity, it's the commonality around these things that are really important that not only creates this deep sense of love and affection for one another, but in the midst of so much challenge and so much difficulty, it actually becomes a source for profound joy. And um, he writes about the fellowship of the gospel. He says, I always pray with you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And um, as I was looking at this and I was praying about it, I was kind of preparing it, the Lord reminded me that that same fellowship of the gospel that Paul is talking about when he writes to the church in Philippi um, is exactly the same fellowship of the gospel. It's exactly the same partnership that we have here at Southwest London Vineyard. And um, that's, that, that same fellowship of the gospel that we have here in this local church, in the same way, is to be a, a source of real joy for every single one of us, no matter what it is that we're going through and no matter what it is that we're facing. Uh, earlier in the summer, Kate and I, uh, I, and then again at the end of last week, we, we got together with just a small group, just a small group of some of Linda's closest um, friends. And we got together and we spent some time, we worshipped together and we prayed together and we talked together and uh, we ministered uh, to one another. And, um, and just, we were just trying to kind of create a space where we could share our hearts with uh, one another about how we're feeling about everything that's going on with her, and, um, and as we got together, you know, we, we cried and we laughed and we cried some more, you can imagine. Um, but you know what, there was, uh, there was this profound sense of connection in the, in the room. There was this sense of um, connection, there was this deep sense of knowing that we, um, we were surrounded by people who were first and foremost committed to seeing Christ glorified and seeing the good news of Jesus shared. And it was that shared partnership, it was that share, those shared values, all that kind of stuff, that commonality. And it, it brought, in the midst of such a sad situation, it brought all of us, I think, a, a profound sense of joy. There was a real peace that we had in our hearts. And, you know, sometimes I, I, I think we don't even realize it. it's there. That, that shared commonality. Um, sometimes I think we don't even recognize, or we can so easily take for granted how much we as a body, how much we as a church family, how much we um, share with one another, how much we have in common with one another. There's, um, there's so much of it, and so much of it is unspoken. We're, we're so rich here in this church with what Paul describes here as um, the part, this partnership 
that exists between us all. Uh, and it's like, um, it's, like God has, it's like God has brought us all together to this church. And, and, and he's brought us all together, and we're all here in this place. And it's like God has just poured all of this glue all over us. You know, and it's like he's poured the glue of the Holy Spirit over us all, and we're kind of all stuck together. Do you see? We're all kind of, we've, we've, we've been rubbing alongside each other and bumping into each other, and as we bump alongside and connect with one another, whether it's in house group or here or wherever it may be, we kind of stick. And we're kind of all stuck together, and, and, and we've kind of, we just, we've become one. And we don't even realize it. We don't even necessarily know that it's happened. And it's, it's through things like the fact that we're a group of people who are passionate about seeing the name of Jesus lifted high. It's through things like the fact that we're a group of individuals who, in our heart, the deepest part of our hearts, want to see the good news of Jesus spread abroad. We want, we desperately long, we yearn for seeing the kingdom of God um, extended. But it's also through um, uh, things like our, our shared uh, commitment to the vision that God has given us. It's also through things like our shared passion and our commitment for the values that, the God, that God has um, kind of woven into the DNA of this church. It's, it's also to do with things like um, the partnership that we share. And we don't even talk about it anymore because it's just like kind of one of those family rules, the, the way that we do family when we talk about kingdom theology. You know, we, it's like at home, you know, you have your set routines and you have your set ways of doing things. You don't talk about them. You just kind of do them. You know, those kind of values. And it's the same with us. We share some of those things. There's this um, shared partnership around, um, again, we don't even articulate it very much, but the way that we do ministry, um, through uh, the way that we care for the poor, through our understanding and the way that we think and feel about how we uh, serve, how we render service, uh, through our understanding and our, our, our beliefs around things like identity and calling and mission and on and on it goes. And there's so much of it that just is part of this partnership. The way that we, um, the things that we think about worship and the way that we hold worship as being uh, such a high value and of such importance, which is why we come here and we come here prepared. Our hearts are prepared and we're ready to press into the Lord with all that we have as we sing and give ourselves and surrender ourselves to him in worship. Um, it's around things like knowing that everybody's free to use the gifts that the Lord has given them. We know that everyone gets to play. Um, it's through things like our shared history and our shared experiences as some of us have been walking on this journey of trying to follow Jesus as best we possibly can for 28, 29 years. There's this wonderful um, and precious God-given shared um, partnership. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's an incredible thing. It's, it's, a, it's a fragrance of the Lord. It's incredibly important. Uh, and as, as Paul says here, it's a source of profound joy. And it's something that we hold lightly at our peril. It's something that um, I think we don't even sometimes realize, um, we don't even kind of notice it until it's not there. We sort of, one of it's one of those things we take for granted. We can take it for granted so easily. And 
you know, not that this church is better than any other um, church, because as you all know too well, um, it's not uh, far from it. But, um, you know, this is the church that we've been called to. This is the church that God has placed us all in. This is the church that the Lord has given us all to serve. And um, we've lost count of the number of people over the years who move on from here for all kinds of reasons. And they get in touch with us, you know, kind of some point down the track, and they say how desperately they miss this church. They miss all of you. They miss all of that shared partnership and that commonality. And whilst they may not have realized it while they were here, um, they miss that real sense of just familiarity and, and being comfortable in each other's presence. And so we're not to give up on it lightly. It's, been, um, it's something that's been hard won and it's hard to reimagine. And, and what Paul is saying here is that it's that sense of um, shared partnership. It's that sense of real fellowship. Because that's what real fellowship is about. You know, it's not just singing kumbaya around a campfire and sharing a cup of coffee. We, we, we bandy the word fellowship around a bit too willy-nilly. But um, fellowship is about shared values, and it's about shared vision, and it's about shared um, history. Right? That's what we're talking about here. And it's that fellowship that actually is to bring us this real joy. And he actually go, he goes on to say that it's actually shared hardships, like the one that we're experiencing as a church now with, um, with Linda, where, you know, we journey with her until we can, no journey, we can journey no further together. But it's even through difficult circumstances like that um, that actually make the bonds of grace and love and devotion and affection between us even stronger. And so... Um, if we can only push through the challenges, yeah, if we can only um, keep on keeping on rather than just giving up the ghost and abandoning ship, um, if we can push through, then there's this, there's this prize of this deep-seated, deep-rooted joy that is our inheritance. And, and very quickly, Paul uses uh, three thoughts in verses uh, 1 to 11 that describe sort of the characteristic, if you like, the flavor of that kind of fellowship. Um, and the first is, he says, I have, effectively he says, I have you in my mind. The second is, I have you in my heart. And the third is, I have you in my prayers. And in verse uh, three, he says, I have you. I, 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 I thank God every time I remember you. He's saying, I have you in my mind. Every time I remember you. You know, Paul's in this situation. It's amazing that he's even thinking about other people and not just completely about himself. He's awaiting trial. He's facing all these very real challenges. And yet his mind goes back to the people in Philippi. And, and every memory, every recollection of them brings him joy. And, and you're kind of like, what is this guy about? You read Acts chapter 16, which is the account of um, Paul's time in Philippi, and you would be forgiven for thinking that, that he would remember it as anything, you know, less than sort of traumatic. Because here he was in Philippi, when you read that account in Acts chapter 16, uh, he was illegally um, arrested, he was beaten, he was put in the stocks, he was humiliated in front of everybody. And yet, when he remembers his time at Philippi, he remembers it with this joy and this sense of affection. Because even though he went through all of those horrendous situations and circumstances, what Paul looks at it, he goes, 
Yeah, but I went through all of that terrible stuff. But don't you remember the, the, my jailer? My jailer came to faith. My jailer gave his life to Jesus. My jailer found new life in Jesus. It doesn't, happen, it doesn't matter what happened to me because look what happened to the jailer. And then he kind of remembers, you know, what happened in Lyd- to Lydia and her household. And then he remembers the, you know, the poor slave girl who'd been demon-possessed. He remembers all the other things that had gone on. And so all of those things pale into, make all of the other stuff pale into insignificance. This, this is wonderful. I, I, I forget that. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. And he has this profound sense of joy. And as we journey together as a, as a church family, as we're just trying our best, to, to follow Jesus as best we possibly can through thick and thin. Let's be a people. Let's be a church that makes the decision to hold one another in our minds. Let's be a people who remember all that the Lord has done. And let's remember, um, what, be mindful of what the Lord is doing in and through the lives of those people around us. Let's be a people who remember the Lord's goodness and his faithfulness and the fact that he has brought us safely thus far. Let's be a people who hold um, in our minds uh, one another, especially when we know that they're going through hard times. There are people who are going through hard times for all sorts of different reasons, not least because of what's happening with Linda. And we, uh, we need to be looking out for people. We need to be paying attention. We need to have these people in our minds and ask the Spirit of God what it is that we should do to help care for them and nurture them and pass them through these kind of difficult situations. I have you in my mind. In verse 7 and 8, he goes even further and he says this. He says, I have you in my heart. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. He actually says it. And he's got this sincere love for all these guys in the church at Philippi. And not only are they in his mind, but he, he, he's thinking about them. He's remembering them. But that these guys are in his heart. He, he loves them. He, he, he has this genuine affection for these people in the church at Philippi. And um, you can see the depth of his feelings towards uh, these guys, and you see it throughout the whole letter. But you look in verse 8, and he says things like, um, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You get this real sense of love that he has. And um, Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, because you love one another. So this love, this having one another in our hearts is part of this great witness of who we are as followers of Jesus. And it's this deep affection that he has. It's this real love for the church at Philippi that brings Paul this profound sense of joy. And it's been the same uh, incredible, I I can only call it supernatural love, um, that we've seen poured out by um, so many of you um, to Linda over these last weeks, months, years, as she's been going through all the things that she's been going through. Um, So many of you, so many of you, you have shown her such amazing love. You've shown her such amazing love. There have been such incredible acts of kindness. There have been such remarkable demonstrations of support. There has been such a wonderful outpouring of love that has been a real privilege and a real joy for us um, to bear witness to. 
And um, whilst we probably shouldn't say it, Kate and I are so incredibly proud of this church. We, um, we're incredibly proud. I, I can't think of any other way to say it. Um, but we are so proud of the way that you've handled yourselves, by the way that you have loved and you've served and you've ministered to Linda um, uh, often <laughs> through incredibly difficult <laughs> and challenging situations because sometimes it's not been easy. Um, but it's your love and your grace and your kindness and the fullness of your hearts just overflowing with love towards her that has brought her such joy. It, it has brought her such joy. We've, we've, we've talked about it with her. Um, it's brought joy to Linda. It's brought joy to us. It's brought incredible joy to Linda's family. You have no idea what kind of witness you have been to Linda's family um, because they have been blown away by the way the church has rallied and the, the way the church has functioned. They've never seen anything like it. They've never seen anything like it. And in the midst of all of this deep, deep um, sadness, your love, your fellowship in the good news of Jesus, your fellowship in the gospel has brought this incredible joy. And there's something sovereign and supernatural that the Father does as the enemy is trying to do damage he does something wonderful with these things. It's like in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There was a deeper magic that she did, the white witch didn't know about. There's something, it's like there's this deeper magic, the magic of the kingdom at work. And it overcomes all the power and the efforts and the attempts of the enemy to spoil, to rob, and destroy, just because of your love. Uh, not only has Linda been in your mind, she's been in your hearts, and we... We commend you. We absolutely commend you for your remarkable witness as a church um, to the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's him that gets all the glory. I have you in my mind. I have you in your heart, my heart. Very quickly, very, very quickly. Uh, I have you in my prayers. In verse 4, Paul writes, In all my prayers for you, I always pray for joy. And then here in verses 9 to 11, we see, we see one of these prayers. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Um, Paul finds joy in his memories when he thinks about the church and the friends that he has in Philippi and his love for them. Um, but he also finds this incredible joy as he remembers them before the Lord in prayer. And in the Old Testament, whenever the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, he'd have to wear a special garment. And it was kind of like an ephod and a breastplate. And uh, the breastplate, which would cover his heart, uh, was adorned with precious stones. And there, was, there were, tw there were 12, 12 stones, and each one of them uh, was engraved with one of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so when the priest went into the Holy of Holies, when he went in to intercede for the people, the names of the people were, were literally on his heart. And he literally carried the people um, in his heart 
into the presence of the Almighty. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. And perhaps one of the most intimate and loving things and loving expressions of our fellowship, um, our deeply held affection for one another, is, is prayer. It's prayer, a prayer like this one. This is something we can be praying, all of us. Just pray it. Whenever you read Philippians, pray this for the people around you. Pray this for this church. Pray that our love may abound in knowledge and depth. Pray that we might have the wisdom and maturity to be able to discern what is good and is right and is best. Pray for one another. Pray for this church that we might be pure and blameless ourselves for the day that we ourselves go home to be with Jesus. Because that day's coming for all of us. And would that we would all die as well as Linda is. Prayer like this, where we might be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ, that he and he alone might be glorified, that he and he alone might be praised. So joy, no matter what, joy in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances, joy through fixing our eyes on Jesus, joy by giving ourselves to the work of the gospel, um, joy by um, loving those that the Lord has put around us, by holding one another in our minds, by holding one another in our hearts, and by holding one another in our prayers. Why don't you stand and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together.